You're listening to the Bonfire Podcast, fanning the flames of the gospel to the ends of the world. Come on, let's dive into the Word. Welcome into the Bonfire Podcast, everyone. We're so glad that you joined us this week. Uh, you are listening to uh, the Bonfire Podcast, and this is part of our Blessed Assurance Podcast series. And this is the 11th episode in our uh, series. And, uh, Dad, we're going to be bringing the series to a close here uh, very soon. I think probably next episode will be our last one yeah. in First John. But uh, we've managed to spend, um, you know, it'll be... 12 weeks uh, in total that we've spent on First uh, John. Yeah. And for a book that's uh, relatively short, I think it's, you know, five chapters, it's only a few pages in your Bible, uh, we've really gone into it in depth. And so hopefully our listeners um, have gotten a lot of out, out of this. Um, I certainly have learned a lot about First John mm-hmm. and uh, and what it means to be a true believer um, as I've been studying, and that's that's the whole goal here, right? right. We're trying to uh, to grow together as uh, as with our audience and our listeners uh, to grow in the Word and to understand it more and more each and every day. And so, we're going to be continuing today in the First John. Uh, we're going to start Chapter Five today, mm-hmm. and um, in Chapter Five, we're going to be you know going along the same lines that we've been. John and and this entire book has really been focused in on. Uh, you know, writing this book so that people will know what they believe and what they believe is true, right? right. Because again, the scenario that we're writing, that he's writing under is that uh, there are all kinds of false teachers. There are all kinds of false beliefs that are popping up both inside the church um, and outside the church. And it was creating a lot of confusion. And mm-hmm. so he he penned the, this letter and he was divinely inspired in doing so uh, to really make it clear and evident so that anyone, even then and today right. can read through this letter and say what it means to be a child of God. And mm-hmm. so um, we're going to continue that model uh, today. And again, and to use uh, John's words, he says that he's write these words so that we may know, right? right. So we want to know what it means to be a true child of God. As we are going to be studying today, we'll be in First uh, John chapter 5, verses 1 through 13. And we're going to see today that a true a child of God has faith and that faith leads us to obedience and that our obedience by faith ultimately leads us to victory by faith in Christ mm-hmm. Jesus. Right. And um, that's really the main point of what we're going to get through today. And then John adds a little bit more into that and he's, he shares with us how we can have certainty in that faith. Mm-hmm. And so I want us to look first at um, obedience by faith. And that's going to get us started with our scripture. Again, we're going to be in First John and this is going to be First John 5 verses 1 through 3. And so let's read this together. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves him who begot also loves him who is begotten. By this we know that we are children of God when we love God and keep his commands. For this is the love of God that we keep his commands, and his commandments are not burdensome. Mm-hmm. And so um, this is our first section that we're going to find out that obedience uh, comes by faith. And, you know, every creation uh, on this planet, um, except man, obeys God's will. Right. You know, if you think about the birds, the the trees, the grasses, you know, everything uh, does just as it should in, in its time, mm-hmm. um, except man. Man is, is the only created being or only created creature. Uh, that really uh, defies God. And right. that's, you know, because what we've discussed before that, you know, ever since sin entered our, our world in the Garden of Eden, um, it came in by the one man being Adam, uh, we have been cursed with this sinful nature. And it's this sinful nature that puts us at enmity or opposition to God and his will. 
And so by nature, man is disobedient. Mm-hmm. And so uh, John is, is writing here to, to tell us, though, that one of the hallmarks or one of the birthmarks of being a, a true child of God mm-hmm. is that you're going to be obedient. That's right. right. And that's going to set you apart from everyone else. Mm-hmm. You know, John says that, uh, you know, you're going to have uh, this new nature that comes on to you once you've been born of God. And it's that new nature that allows you to be obedient. That's right. Children of God desire in their hearts to keep the commandments of God. In the Old Testament, the commandments of God were imposed upon the children of Israel as a matter of strict responsibility and duty. They were told to do them. They were required to do them. It was a duty to do them. In the New Testament, we read of a group called the Pharisees, and they made the commandments of God mere outward commandments and kept the outward letter of the law, but they did not do it from their hearts, and so their lives were just filled with misery. There was no joy, no peace, no real delight in their lives. Religion to them was a matter of mere external duty or responsibility, but this is where real love comes in, for when love comes in, God transforms the duty to obey the law into a desire to obey the law. A woman was married to a man whom she did not love. He made her get up every morning at five o'clock, cook his breakfast, and serve it at six o'clock sharp. He made her wait on him and was exacting in his demands on her time. Her life was made miserable trying to satisfy the request of her husband. Finally, he died. After a few years, she married again. This time, she married a man whom she really loved. One day, while clearing out some old papers, she came across the strict set of rules her former husband had written out for her to obey. Carefully, she read them over. Get up at 5 o'clock. Serve breakfast at 6 o'clock sharp. On and on she read. Then she stopped and thought and realized that she was fulfilling every single one of these demands, but... She had not realized it because this time she was doing it for love's sake. So it's not difficult to serve the Lord Jesus when we really love him. When you love Jesus as a born-again child of God, you will desire to obey him and do everything God wants you to do. When the Bible says, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, Well, that's no duty to you. It is the desire of your heart that you never take his name in vain. When the Bible says that you're to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, (laughs) that's no duty for you. The desire of your heart is that you might be faithful to his day and serve him faithfully. Hey, I'll tell you what, when you're born into the family of God, you're going to love the Father and And you're going to love God, and His commandments are not going to be burdensome to you. You're going to want to do it because of your love for Him. Mm, That's true. You know, and and so what I was thinking, Dad, is what does it mean to keep God's commandments? And uh, I was just thinking about that as, you know, people may hear that. It's a very simple statement. And they may wonder, does that just mean the, the Ten Commandments, or does that mean just that the kind of that great commandment that Jesus talked about to love God and love others? And I think the answer that I want to make sure our audience hears is the answer is yes and more, right? And more. And so it's not just following uh, just these list of things. You shouldn't be asking, okay, what are the things that I need to do in order to be obedient, right? It's mm-hmm. it's a matter of, of doing everything that's in the, the Word of God, but also seeking uh, to follow in God's will for your life. 
Right. There's a, a lot of times when Paul, when he was writing letters to the church under the inspiration of God, you can read in the way he was writing these letters, commands coming forth from God. God was telling him what to tell the church as, as to the way we should live our lives and what we should do. And of course, God writes his commandments on our hearts as believers, too. I mean, the Holy Spirit lives in us. The Holy Spirit's the one that inspired the Word of God. And so he allows us to know uh, what God would have us to do, too. He guides us on a daily basis. We have that internal voice of God through the Holy Spirit. And, of course, when we go against what the Holy Spirit wants us to do, uh, then, then we're breaking his command. That's right. You know, as we're talking about obedience, Dad, I believe a sign of uh, that a child of God is really a growing and maturing in their love for the Lord is their personal attitude toward the Bible. Because, mm-hmm. you know, in the Bible, that's where we find God's will revealed for our lives. And, you know, to an unsaved person, when they look at the Bible, they see it, you know, as an impossible book. You know, it's full of, of do not do this and do this. And they just see that the demands of the Bible are too burdensome. Mm-hmm. And they may even view it as just a book of fallacies. But to a true child of God who's experienced God's perfected love, which we talked about last time in our last episode— finds himself enjoying the Word of God and truly loving it. That's right. You know, the psalmist wrote uh, in Psalms that, uh, Oh, how I love thy law, referring to the, the Old Testament. The psalmist goes on to say that he rejoices in the law and he delights uh, in that and that it's sweet uh, as the taste of honey to him, mm-hmm. uh, reading the Bible, reading God's Word. And, you know, I just see that as, as part of obedience is getting into God's Word and uh, one of my favorite poems, Dad, when I think about uh, getting into God's Word and to uh, being obedient to His commands, which the Bible is, is, is basically His commandments to us mm-hmm. in paper, I think about this uh, poem called My Old Bible. I want to share it with our listeners today. It says, Though the cover is worn and the pages are torn, and though places bear traces of tears, yet more precious than gold is this book worn and old that shatters and scatters my fears. This old book is my guide, tis a friend by my side. It will lighten and brighten my way, and each we prom- and with each promise I find, it soothes and gladdens my mind as I read it and heed it each day. Yeah, I and bet. so you know the the Bible is something that just becomes uh, you know precious to you as you grow as a Christian, and the more that you read, um, you just learn so much more. And I you know I wonder if there's listeners out there that you've ever got to that point in your life where you were struggling and you couldn't talk to your mom, you couldn't talk to your dad, you couldn't talk to your friend. Um, and so you just decided that you go get your Bible and you go off over in the corner and you start to open it up and read and before long it opened you up right? and you began to hear uh, words come straight from the Father above directed to you. Um, that's what the Word of God can do. And and as obedient children, we should dive into His Word. We should scour this and find out all of the things that are, are uh, in God's will for us and follow them uh, to a T. Yeah, and uh, talking about his commandments, of which we we read his commandments in the Word, I want you to understand that God does not give his commandments to make life miserable and to restrain us from the joyful things in life. The commandments of God are given because of his love and concern and deep interest in, in every one of us. Think about the little boy whose father says to him, Do not touch the stove, son. The stove is hot. If the little boy puts his hand on the stove, he is going to get burned severely. So the father issues a commandment, thou shalt not touch the stove. What motivated the father to give such a command? Was it the desire to make 
the little boy's life miserable? Of course not. The deepest desire of the father was to protect his child from injury. And out of love, the commandment was imposed. When we understand that the commandments of God are the reflection of God's love and interest and care over us, the greatest delight in our life should be to keep those commandments of God. And so I want to ask you out there in the podcast audience, do you have a desire to keep the commandments of God? Mm. You know, if you look closely at verse 3, Dan, before we move on from obedience, um, you've already touched on this, but it says, John says here that his commandments um, are not burdensome, you mm-hmm. know, that, that, that they're light. And so, um, you know, you talked about the desire to follow him and, and to and to uh, be uh, answering to his call and to his will and to his commandments. Um, what I see is that John is telling us that a true child of God actually finds obedience to be a source of uh, peace and happiness, and That's that it, exactly you know right. it's not just simple obedience; it's joyful obedience. You do it, and it makes you happy. And you're not you're not trying to follow a list of rules uh, to to get them all right. You do it because, as you said, you love the Father, and that that love just causes you to be obedient. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. So, Dad, uh, the next uh, section that we see here is as John goes in, he talks about uh, that we can have victory by faith. And so, I want us to to look at that. And we're going to read verses uh, four and five. And it says uh, here, verse four, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the son of God. And so, uh, you know, Christians live in a, in a real world, Dad, and we've got a lot of formidable obstacles around us. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's encouraging to hear John say that we have the potential to have victory and be overcomers of things in this world. That's exactly right. Uh, three times John uses the word overcome, and uh, this word lets us know that there is a real conflict going on in the world. It never makes the newspaper. It is never shown on television. But there is a life and death struggle going on in this world. It is the conflict between the born-again child of God and the host of hell. The Bible says that the Christian fights against three formidable foes. He fights against the world, the flesh, and the devil. But in spite of these tough opponents, the Bible declares that the Christian can have victory and overcome all three. There is no reason to be a defeated Christian. If you're a born-again child of God, God, there has been made available everything that you need to give you total victory and total conquest over this world. You can truly be an overcomer. In our scripture text, John uses the word overcometh, like I said, three times. The first time and the third time, he used it in the present tense. This points out that those who are born of God are daily overcoming. The second time the word is used in verse 4, he used it in a tense, which means something which took place in the past and was settled once and for all. This tense of the word speaks of an initial conquest. First, I want you to look at what was meant by that initial conquest. Left alone by themselves, men are not able to overcome the world. Adam and Eve learned this to their sorrow. They met the temptations, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life and their own strength, and they failed miserably. Rather than conquering the world, they were conquered by the world. Because no man was found to be a match for the world, there was a need for one to arise. And thank God one did when Jesus Christ invaded the world, met it 
on its own ground and won absolute total victory. When Jesus came down to earth, the world did everything possible to conquer him. Every kind of temptation was hurled at Jesus, but still Jesus would not give in. Finally, in a desperate attempt, the world put Jesus on a cross and unleashed its mightiest weapon, the very power of death. But when the dust cleared after the cannon of death exploded on Jesus, do you know what they found? An empty tomb with the Lord Jesus ascended to the Father, holding the keys of death, hell, and the grave, leading captivity captive. Jesus Christ is a conquering Christ. And he said in John sixteen thirty three, In the world you'll have tribulation, but be a good cheer. I've overcome the world. Folks out there, the initial conquest over the world didn't come about till Jesus conquered it. But what Jesus did opened up the way for a continual conquest of the world. Jesus' usage of the world of the word overcome in its present tense form in verses four and five speaks of a continual conquest. It is now possible to continue on with what Jesus started, and that is having victory over the world. Ah, uh, yes, victory. So true child of God is an overcomer as you just went through, but we can also have victory by faith. We see that there in verse four. Mm-hmm. Um, but you may ask uh, in faith in what? And so we see in verse five that that's answered. It's faith in Jesus Christ, the son of God. That's where victory comes from is when we place our faith in Jesus Christ. It's not faith in ourselves, mm-hmm. but it's faith in Christ that gives us victory. And as you talked about dad, uh, through Christ shed blood on the cross and his resurrection from the grave, he has defeated every enemy. And so when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, we share in the victory that he has given us. So what John is really saying, if we kind of paraphrase these verses, is you Christians don't have to walk around defeated because Jesus has made you victors. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the course, the the key here is faith. And, and you know, that's always been the key with God. Uh, the key to victory is, is faith. When we look at those great men and women that are listed in Hebrews uh, chapter 11, they won their victories by faith. That's right? right. That's why we call that the hall of faith in that, uh, um, in that particular uh, book of the Bible or chapter of the Bible. And so they simply took God at his word and they acted on it. And he honored their faith and gave them victory. Notice I want you to hear I said they acted on it. True faith is actually acting on what God says because it's true, and that's obedience. Right. You know, someone once said, Dad, that faith is not so much believing in spite of evidence, but obeying in spite of consequences. That's right. One of my favorite hymns, old hymns in the church, is faith is the victory that overcomes the world. Now, today, if you find yourself defeated, not having any victory over the world, then you need to ask yourself why you're not. It could be today that you're not saved, that you've never been born again. And if and if uh, you're in that situation, then you need to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior before it's too late. You know, there's multitudes of people who come to our churches who have their name on the church rolls, and yet they've never had a new birth experience. And so I want to ask you out there in the podcast audience, have you been born again? If you have, then you'll know it. If after having looked at the uh, the birthmarks of a believer of which faith and uh, victory and keeping the commandments of God are just a couple of them. If you don't think that you're saved, you need to give you need to give your heart to Jesus today. Well, that's exactly right. 
So, Dad, I want us to, to look at uh, what John shares with us next, and that is that we can have certainty in our faith. And that's going to bring us to our next section of Scripture, and that's going to be First John 5, uh, 6 through 8. And so I'll read that for us uh, here. It says, uh, This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not only by water, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who bears witness, because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, the Holy Spirit, and these three are one. And there are three that bear witness on earth, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three agree as one. And so, uh, Dad, we've been talking here about uh, faith. So we talked about how our faith leads us to obedience, and then our obedience, our faithful obedience leads us to victory. And then John begins to tell us, well, how can you have certainty in your faith? And, and John says that there are three witnesses uh, in heaven that attest to Jesus being the true Son of God. Mm-hmm. He says, uh, basically, it's the Holy Trinity, right? It's the Father. He says the Word, which we know the Word is what John uh, uses to refer to Jesus himself. Right. And then the Spirit. And they all three, as, as one, give witness that Jesus Christ is the Son of God right. um, and, and is the, the Christ uh, that came for the world. But John also, uh, in his expired word, shows us that there are three witnesses on earth as well, and that's the water, the blood, and the spirit. Mm-hmm. And so I want us to look at the the water, the blood, and the spirit and, and talk about that a little bit more. I mean, uh, the first two are, are obviously... Uh, probably fairly obvious to us. The water refers to Jesus's baptism in the Jordan. Mm-hmm. And think about what happened there. Remember, he was being baptized, and and what happened? Uh, you know, the heavens opened up, and and God the Father spoke right. and said, this is my son who I am well pleased. And at the same time, the Spirit descended, descended on him like a dove. And so that was the first witness uh, to that. And, uh, and God the Father gave this witness at the very beginning of Jesus's ministry, and so that's the first witness is the water. The second is the blood. God the Father also gave witness that Jesus is his son at the cross at the end of his earthly ministry. Matthew twenty-seven fifty through 51 says, And Jesus, meaning on the cross, cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Then, behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth quaked and the rocks were split. God is in control of his creation, and here we have another evidence that Jesus was the Son of God. No wonder the centurion cried out, after all of this happened, truly this was the Son of God. Now, the people to whom John was writing to were exposed to a popular false teaching that Jesus was merely a man on whom the Christ had come when Jesus was baptized, but on the cross The Christ left Jesus. But the witness of the blood, what happened at the crucifixion, was the Father's way of witnessing to the deity of Christ. And Dan, I think from just a practical standpoint, everything that you said there is just spot on. But I just think about the prophecies that were filled through that process. Sure. You know, I think it's over 300 prophecies that are from the Old Testament and and that were written... uh, Hundreds and thousands of years before, right? And Jesus filled every single one of them. And right. and for me, just from a practical standpoint, when I think about a, a witness and what I need to know to be certain, and I can go in the Old Testament, I can read what was was written hundreds of years before, and then I watch it in the New Testament be fulfilled. 
that to me is is just amazing, and it gives me certainty uh, that there's no way that uh, you know the the forty some odd writers of the Bible were able over thousands of years were able to collude to make this story up. It that's just, right. It just doesn't make sense to me that that's possible, and that gives me certainty. John shares with us though that there's a third witness as well uh, that gives witness to the fact that Jesus is, is Christ, and that is the Spirit. The Spirit was given to bear witness, and we can trust the Spirit because John says in verse six that the Spirit is truth. Right, mm-hmm. uh, the Spirit is truth, and you know we were not present at Jesus's baptism, and we were not present at his death, but the mm-hmm. Holy Spirit was. The Holy Spirit is the only person active on earth today that was present at that time, and he bears witness in the hearts of believers right now. That's right. In John chapter 15, verse 26, Jesus told his disciples, but when the helper, that means the Holy Spirit, comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. The Holy Spirit continually testifies to the fact that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, as we read the Bible or hear it taught and preached, the Holy Spirit bears witness, convicting our hearts of the truth about Jesus. So, Dan, I want us to to finish up our passage here, and I'm I'm going to read the rest of it um, to to close this out. It says, if we receive the witness of men, this is starting at at verse 9, if we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater For this is the witness of God, which he has testified of his Son. He who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. He who does not believe in God has made him a liar, because he has not believed the testimony that God has given of his Son. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and that his life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of Jesus and the name of the Son of God, uh, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Mm-hmm. And so, Dad, in these verses here, one of the very first things that John points out to us is we just got through going through God's witness, right? Mm-hmm. So when we talk about the three witnesses in heaven and even the witness witnesses here on, on present earth, those are God. That is God witnessing. Mm-hmm. Regardless of the way we divide it and what we want to call it, that is God witnessing. Right. And so John says that we take the witness of man all the time. You That's know, right. I, you know, we place our faith in man a lot, mm-hmm. right? You know, even just driving down the road, you're you're placing faith that that person in the other lane is going to stay in their lane, right? Uh, you you take uh, faith that when you stop at a stoplight, the person behind you is going to stop. Uh, you place your faith in the chair that you're sitting in, or you get on an elevator. We we do that all the time. And so John just says, if you can put your faith and your trust in the witness of man, then how much more should you do that of God? That's right. Uh, when you were talking about we accept the testimony of men, I thought about this. We believe that George Washington was the first president of the United States. But how do we know that? None of us has ever heard George Washington's voice or seen him, nor have we met anyone who has. However, could anyone convince you that George Washington was not the first president of the United States? Of course not. 
even though you read it in history books written by authors about whom you know nothing. But John says, but God's testimony is greater because it's the testimony of God which he has given us about his son. If you can believe the history books written by authors, we do not know. Why shouldn't you believe God's word? To support the historical proof, John continues in verse 10, and he says, He who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. Now, when we place our faith in Jesus, we have an inward testimony, a spiritual impression that verifies the external evidence already mentioned in verses 8 and 9, and that is the testimony of the heart. You know, following the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the disciples, some of the disciples of Jesus, they were on a road walking to a little place called Emmaus, and they had a visitor to join them in their walk. They didn't know, but it was Jesus. Jesus had restrained their eyes so that they did not know him. And they talked about the events that happened in the last few days as they walked along, not knowing it was Jesus that was walking with them. And so after they explained everything that had taken place, uh, they talked to Jesus and not knowing it was Jesus. And they said, hey, how about you spend a few days with us? Because uh, Jesus was able to explain uh, the story of God to them through the death and the resurrection his own death and resurrection, even though they didn't know it was Jesus. And so they said, please stay with us. And so uh, Jesus, he went to the little place that they were going to spend the night, and they sat down for an evening meal. And the scripture says over in Luke chapter 24, verses 25 and 26, that after Jesus broke the bread and blessed the bread, their, their eyes were then opened to the fact that it was Jesus that was sitting at the table with them. And at verse 32 of Luke chapter 24, the Bible says of these men, and they said to one another after Jesus disappeared, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scripture to us? Now that's the testimony of the heart. But now the alternative to not believing uh, is very clear. John says in the second half of verse 10, that scripture I started to read to you a while ago, it says, He who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed the testimony that God has given his son. An Oxford scholar, C.S. Lewis, once said, Jesus is either who he said he was or the greatest liar and deceiver in history. If you are not convinced he's the son of God, then you must believe he is the greatest fraud in all of history. In verse 11, the Bible says, And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. The purpose of God's testimony through the water, the blood, and the Spirit is that sinners might have eternal life. The essence of eternal life is the believer's participation in the blessed everlasting life of Christ. And I want to point out to you verse 12. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. What people do with God's testimony to Jesus Christ determines their eternal destiny. You know, John gets right to the heart of everything uh, in terms of the 
really the heart of the matter of being a Christian. Uh, being a Christian is about eternal life. That mm. that is that is what uh, we all long for. Um, is is that we are forgiven for our sins and that we have been um, made righteous before God. And when uh, this earthly life comes to an end, we are going to be able to live forever. You know, if without eternal life, uh, there is no hope, Dad. You mm-hmm. know, uh, it is it is the hope of a Christian is eternal life. And and John says that our faith in who? Jesus, right? right? The Son of God is what produces uh, eternal life. Right. And and God does not want us to have any doubt concerning the eternal life that he has given us. You know, one of the first things that John said right out of the gate was that he wrote First John so that our joy might be full. But then in verse 13, he says, these things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you might know that you have eternal life. Now, what is it? Did John write that we might have our joy full or that we might know that we have eternal life? Well, really, it is both because your joy can't be full if you don't know uh, that you've got eternal life. Doubt produces a lack of joy in the Christian life. And it also hinders service, Christian service. D.L. Moody, the famed evangelist of 200 years ago, he said one time, I've never known a Christian who was any good in the work of Christ who did not have the assurance of salvation. I read that during the first part of the construction of the world's largest bridge in San Francisco, no safety devices were used, and 23 men fell to their deaths. During the construction of the last part of that bridge, a safety net was constructed at the cost of $100,000. At least 10 men fell into the net and were saved. But the interesting thing is that the workers got 25% more work done once they were assured they were saved. Folks, it's the same way in Christian work. A man cannot put his all into the service of God and really go after souls until he knows that he is saved. You know, Dad, that's a great call to action for all of our believers who are listening to the podcast, but I want to go back and just talk to those who are are listening and uh, may not be believers. And they've heard us talk about faith, and and we've talked about eternal life. And uh, they may be feeling a little tug in their heart saying that I, I don't know about this eternal life thing. I don't think I have that uh, taken care of. And I would just want us to to give just another opportunity. You did it earlier in the podcast, but do it again just to, to um, share with those who are listening that you can place your faith in Jesus. Uh, you can uh, confess your sins to him and repent from those sins. And uh, when you call upon his name and ask for forgiveness, uh, he will send to you um, at that time forgiveness, uh, love, mercy, and uh, you will just have uh, the the greatest weight lifted off of your shoulders as you become right with the one true God. And from there forward, you will have the same satisfaction that we've been talking about today, uh, that you'll have uh, faith that leads to obedience. You'll have victory uh, by faith, and ultimately your faith will produce um, eternal life through Jesus Christ. And so I just want to encourage all of you who are listening to, to really think about, do you know that you have eternal life? And if you don't, let's get that right today. You can always reach out to us at bonefireministries at gmail.com and start that conversation. We'd love to talk to you about it and how you can become a Christian if you'd like to know more, or we will do our best to get you plugged into um, a church where you ever, wherever you may be, anywhere in the world. We'll do what we can to find out how we can help you uh, right where you are so that you can become a child of God and have the same uh, satisfaction that we have 
here today. So, uh, Dad, just a great study. Um, again, I, I appreciate you you doing this with me, and uh, I want to encourage all of our listeners to come back next week as we finish up uh, Blessed Assurance. That'll be our last one. We'll wrap up the rest of Chapter 5, and uh, that'll close us out, and then we'll move on to another topic after that. So, That's exactly right. Uh, thanks again for listening, and Dad, if you would, pray us out of here. Sure. Our Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for giving Matt and I this opportunity to speak to those that are listening today around the world to this podcast. We pray, O God, that if there are those that have not put their faith in Jesus Christ as the only way to heaven, that they would acknowledge their sin today, ask you to forgive them of their sin, turn away from it, Lord, and then ask you to come and live inside their life and change their heart and be their Savior and their Lord. Our Heavenly Father, I believe there are perhaps a people today that are filled with doubts. Yes, they believe the facts about Jesus, but we also know, Lord, that the devil believes the facts, and, and he's not saved. Lord, we have to turn from our sin, and I pray, Lord, that there will be many people that will look deep within to make sure of their relationship with God today, to make sure they're of the faith, because we know Jesus is coming back. He could come back soon. We want to go uh, be with him and meet him when he comes and we want those that's listening to this podcast to be in heaven with us and we ask all this today in jesus name amen amen thank you for listening to this episode of the bonfire podcast we encourage you to subscribe wherever you stream your podcast content also be sure to rate us on itunes and facebook so that others will know about the podcast if you have a question that you'd like to see us address on an episode feel free to email us at bonfireministries at gmail.com